Uh, we're continuing to read through Acts, and we're in the end of Acts chapter 4, uh, starting, let's just start up in verse 24. Acts 4, verse 24. When they heard this, they raised their voice together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and your will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your Holy Spirit, your Holy Servant, Jesus. After they had prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed any of their possessions as their own but they shared everything that they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord, and God's grace was powerfully at work in them all. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for all that you give to us. We thank you for what you're doing in our lives and in the church that we go to, and we thank you for what you're doing in our communities, and we thank you for what you're doing in the world. And help us to take refuge in you and help us to understand uh, what's happening here in the church and help us to understand what this baptism of the Holy Spirit meant for them and what it means for us. We ask this all in your name, Jesus. Amen. Well, as we've been looking through Acts, the thought that we sort of have started it with is what, what is it that God's doing, and what is it that this baptism of the Holy Spirit means for us? And we're looking at it at a fairly unique time for us. I, you might even say it's a unique time in history. Uh, all the events that have surrounded uh, what's been happening with uh, COVID-19 have created, uh, shut down the way churches were doing things throughout the the world. Uh, maybe not every church, but in general, it's caused a huge shift. And the shift isn't really a shift to Zoom, but there's been this sort of pause or this effect. And what we've been thinking through as we look at Acts is it opens up sort of a moment for us to have actually some freedom. We, we've it's easy to look at it as being bad because we can't continue doing the things that we were doing for us, particularly, you know, meeting on Sunday together, um, singing together and that sense of oneness and that sense of community and that sense of being able to grab each other, shake hands, hold each other, see each other close. Uh, and when we do see, we have to, you know, put a mask on different things like that. We, it's easy to view all of that as bad. But the question is, is there something that God is good that God is bringing from that? And is there 
one thing that's for certain is it's giving us this pause where the way we were doing things has put a pause on. And so the question is, what might we pick up that might be different? How might things change? How might God be changing things in a way that, that's good for us and good for our communities and good for people around? And the church here in Jerusalem was grappling with the same thing. Things were changing uh, very quickly for them. And in terms of people worshiping God, that had been going on for a long time. In terms of the church, of people hearing about God and, and seeing the need for forgiveness, uh, singing songs, that had been happening for a long time. Uh, trying to understand the Bible, that had been happening for a long time. But what we've looked at that's new, that's fresh, that happened was this baptism of the Holy Spirit. And what that freshness or newness was that prior to Jesus ascending up into heaven and that baptism of the Holy Spirit that Jesus had promised would come that had been talked about throughout the, the entire Bible up to that point. It's not that the Holy Spirit had never been present on earth before or that people had never done anything miraculous. People had been raised from the dead in the Old Testament. Uh, the Red Sea had been parted. Lots of miraculous things had happened. In, in fact, all the things that you read about Jesus doing, most of them uh, had happened already. So, so it wasn't this introduction of new and miraculous things that happened. It wasn't something different than that. It was just a continuation of it. But what was different was that prior to this, God would choose a person. And it wasn't that that person was good or bad. It was just that he'd just choose a person and the Holy Spirit would come on that person. Everyone else would watch and everyone else would sort of see it and gauge. Here's what God's doing. Here's what God's saying. Those two things were connected. That, that Here's what God's doing and what God's saying from this person that the Holy Spirit, and so what's different now is that that Holy Spirit, you see it over and over again, is being given to everyone that believes in Jesus. And what believes in Jesus mean, or a follower of Jesus, as defined here in Acts and in the Bible, is it's someone who, first of all, realizes that they need forgiveness. If we realize that we need forgiveness, and if we see that that forgiveness is being offered through Jesus, that we can have that forgiveness through Jesus because of what Jesus has done. When we say what Jesus has done on the cross, what Jesus has done by his death, what's meant by that is that we can have forgiveness because Jesus has made it right. And if we choose then to follow Jesus on the basis of that forgiveness, then the Holy Spirit is given to each one of us. And it's given to us in different ways. To one person, it may mean this. To another person, it may mean that. There may be a few people where it's similar in this or similar here or there. But the overriding factor is, is that the Holy Spirit takes whatever it is that we might have to offer and brings it to a place uh, that it's miraculous. In other words, where it becomes clear that this is no longer what someone else is doing. We have to see from this that we believe by looking at this that there's something more going on. There's something that goes beyond 
what humans are able to do. And, and that might mean something like hospitality. Hospitality can go beyond <laughs> where you just see someone and they're just so hospitable. And it's not that they're so good. You know, sometimes we make that judgment. It's just that it's the Holy Spirit has given this gift so that it's being taken to a place that's beyond what we're able to do. And so when we see how this works out in the story, what we've been looking at is for Peter and John, uh, they had a gift of healing, or whatever the case is, the healing happened through them. They were had been going to the temple. This, there's no indication that this had been their first time to the temple, that they had gone there many times. It's very clear in the story. It says there had been this guy that he always went to this gate and went to the temple, and he couldn't walk, and he asked for money. So they had more than likely the inference there is they had passed before. And it wasn't the type of gift where, you know, they could just determine what they wanted to do, that they just went around and just healed them because they had had that gift and they had passed this person probably many times. But it's something that the Holy Spirit decided to do. And that's something that we're going to look at in the story, that these gifts of the Holy Spirit, they're not something where God has given the decision-making over to us, that he's given us these gifts and now he, we're, we're stewards over them in the sense that we determine when it's going to happen and when it's not. He's retained that. Jesus is still the head of the church. Jesus is still the one who's deciding when and how and where these things are going to work out, but he's giving them to us to be a, a part of it. And what happens is they heal this guy, and the people that are in power, the religious leaders, the elders, uh, whether it's religious or not, the key determining factor is, is the ones who had power didn't like what they saw. They saw it as a threat. And they couldn't really tell them, uh, you know, punish them because everyone, it was clear that this was something that God was doing. And that's what the Holy Spirit does. It makes it, the Holy Spirit makes it clear what it is that God's doing. And that's one of the wonderful things about him giving the Holy Spirit to each one of us is in each one of us has some particular way in which the things that we do will rise beyond what obviously we are capable of, rise beyond how, you know, whatever someone might determine, say, oh, this is a good person, this is a bad, it goes beyond that. It rises beyond so that it points to what God is saying and what it is doing. And so they couldn't deny what God was doing, that God had done this. Everyone believed that it was something that God had done. And so what they decide instead to do is just threaten and tell them, you need to stop talking about this. And so we've looked at this for a couple of weeks. I looked at the miracle that happened. Steve uh, last week talked about the next part when they warn them to not talk anymore about the things that, that God is doing, the things that God is saying about Jesus. And now uh, I'm picking up the end of the story where they come back and they tell their church, the people that they've been in community with. You might say their local church or just their body of believers. And they tell them this, and it says they raise their voice together in a prayer to God. And what that means, uh, what they do is they actually point to this 
sort of familiar hymn. That's the hymn of David. It says in Psalm 2. It's a hymn that they would have been well familiar with. But as we'll see, what's interesting is they, they really don't ask uh, God for help in the sense of, please don't let these threats come true. Uh, don't let uh, this happen. Remove these people from power. Prevent this from happening. They, they don't do any of that. They ask for something different. And what they ask for that's different is rooted in what they say at the very beginning in this prayer. And it's actually a unique thing. They say, Sovereign Lord. Uh, the, the exact word there is despot. <laughs> they say despot to God. It was, and in the translation I'm reading, they just translate it sovereign. And it's understandable why, because even back then, you know, we think of it today with, we think, well, democracy or this form of government is good, this form. The, the worst form of government that everyone can think of is we think of it as being a despot. And so obviously when you translate it, you don't want to just translate it despot because everyone's going to think it's bad. How can God be bad is basically what we're going to say. So they're just thinking, well, aside from what people think of in terms of that name, let's just talk about it's just really talking about the sovereignty of God here. And there's a good point to be made with that, but it's kind of begging the question by doing that, that that's the way they felt back then too. It's not like now we're these modern people. And so now we realize that being a despot is bad. They realized it back then, but they still use that word. So what's going on here? Look, when we decide, well, we don't want a despot. Why, why is it we don't want a despot? Because what a despot means is it's a leader who doesn't take advice from anybody. A despot is someone who the military leaders will say this and this and this, and they just make a decision based on whatever it is they feel like needs to happen. They may have some advisors and their advisors may say this and this and that, but a despot is someone who really doesn't pay heed to any of the advisors. Uh, a despot is someone who just is basically going on their own sense of what they think needs to happen. And if that's bad, it's bad. If it's good, it's good. They may think of themselves as doing good, but whatever it is, they're the sole decision-making person, and they're not adhering to anything that anyone else is saying. Now, everyone realizes that's bad because the person just ends up making bad choices. They end up going in a direction because we know no one's going to be able to figure everything out on their own. And so what we've done is we've changed the forms of government in our hope to find something good. We may choose a republic where maybe we may choose a form of government where we have a king, but then the, the, the money, we try and separate the money from it where they have a parliament or some other body of government that controls the fundraising aspect. What, well, why would you do that? Because you're trying to make it so that there's some sort of, you're searching for good to come from our decision making and you feel like it can't possibly be found in a singular person because we're always going to make mistakes. And so it, maybe it's found in our collective good. And then maybe you say, well, it's not really that. Maybe you need to actually divide up the power and you give different branches of government power. It's the same thing. We know that if it's left to one person, it's going to end up 
being catastrophic. And so let's try and find good or find our salvation rooted in some sort of way that, that we're collectively making decisions. But what this says is they started off and they say, look, our only hope has nothing to do with us getting rid of these leaders and instituting ourselves. It, there, we have zero hope that we're going to have a say in what's going on. That's not going to fix the situation. Our only hope is if it is true what the gospel says, that God is not giving that decision-making over to anybody, that God is the one who's making these decisions, or, or God is the one who He's able to make his plans happen regardless of what anyone else is doing. And it says here, he says what the Holy Spirit, or he says, Sovereign Lord, you have made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. It's pointing to God, you're the one who's created this entire place. Our hope is in you who's the creator. Our hope is in your plans that you've had from the beginning. Our hope is not in a person making a plan or even us joining into that plan. Our, our hope is not in any plans that we've made. Our hope is in your plans. And it says, you spoke of by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father, David. Why did the nations rage and the people's plot in vain. The word nation there uh, just means nations. But in the context of the Bible, it's almost always used from beginning to end. It, that's why it's often translated Gentiles, because what it means is every nation other than God's chosen people, that God has chosen this people and they've decided to follow him and they're worshiping God, they're following God. And so there's, that's a dividing line. There's something different there amongst those people. There's all the other nations of the world, and then there's these people. But then the thing is, he says, peoples, and that's all peoples. But again, in the Bible, it almost always refers to the chosen people. And in Luke, and here in Acts, the writer of Acts is constantly transferring what had meant to be the people of Israel to mean the people who are followers of Jesus. And so it's interesting what's happening here, because what happens here is we think, well, there's the way that everybody else responds to the gospel, to God, to what God has to say, to the things that God's doing. There's the way everybody else uh, reacts to it. And then there's something different, which is the way that a follower of God or a follower of Jesus would react. And what they're saying here in this psalm is, there is no difference. We all react the same way. And how it reacts, that word rage, it doesn't necessarily mean to the extent of just raging and angry and just like pressing against. It, it includes that, but it's really just the, the neighing of a horse, which can go to this, but it can also be something soft. <clears throat> and it says, the... Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. The anointed one is meant to mean God's salvation. So what they're saying here is 
we have this message of the gospel, which is, I need forgiveness for my sins. I can find forgiveness of my sins through this promised one, this anointed one, the forgiveness of my sins through Jesus. And I'm going to follow him on that basis. Now, what is that basis? Following God on the basis of the forgiveness of our sins means we're not following God on the basis of thinking that we're going to make good choices and we're going to earn favor with God or that things are going to go well with us when we join in and create these good decisions and that type of thing. That's not joining in to forgiveness. Forgiveness is, is what they're doing, saying, I'm not going to make the right decision. I don't know how to move things forward. And even if I did, I probably wouldn't do it. I'm just going to, my only hope is, is that even though I'm doing all these things, that God is going to work out what he plans to do to save us. That's what following God based on this idea that I need repentance and that I can have it found in Jesus. There's nothing that we did to contribute to solving the problem. Jesus did it all on the cross. Now, what is it saying? St. Devot, they rage, there's this name, there's this pause, and then that pause causes us to think about vain things. It's plot vain things is a good translation, but again, sometimes we think of it's vain in terms of futile. And the plot, it's not necessarily like plot like as an evil plot, it just means ponder, think about, plan, plot would work too, but it's a huge encompassing thing. What they're saying is, is that whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, whether you're following God or not, everybody across the entire planet, all of humanity, when we hear this gospel, that God is the sole source of our salvation, that our actions do not contribute whatsoever in the slightest to us being saved, that nothing good in the world comes to us based on our actions. It's all given based on God's power and God's grace. That causes us to just sort of react back a little bit. It causes us to just sort of draw back and it may result in us raging, but it also... Regardless of who it is, it may not even result in it. It just sort of causes us to pull back. And God's asking the question here. He's saying, why is, is this having that effect? At the end of the psalm, it says, this is reason for you to take refuge in me. This is good news that I'm giving to you, that it's not dependent on you and your actions. Why is it that we have this sort of reaction? God, God asked that. It's such good news for us, and yet we just sort of react. We just sort of pull back. And when we do that, when we go with that and we pull back, what it says that we do, and this is true of everybody, is it causes us to start pondering, well, no, I mean, my actions must matter in some sort of way. I, I, the things that I do have to matter. I mean, I have to contribute in some sort of sense. The salvation cannot be completely based on God's graciousness and on God's forgiveness. There has to be some sort of turning, some sort of way. And it says, when we do that, 
whether we're trying to do that in some sort of religious mumbo jumbo, whether we're trying to say, well, in this religious way, I'm contributing now, or I, I contribute by I'm turning from my sin and I'm not doing anymore. However it is that you want to talk about it, when you're talking about our actions and what we are doing and our contribution to good happening here on earth, it's all just talking about futility. It's futile because we don't contribute to it. The hope is that God created this, and God created it as good, and God has given us our freedom, and he's not taking it away from us. Even in the case of these leaders who are just doing disastrous things, but even though we have our freedom, and that's resulting in oftentimes just evil, 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 there is still a hope that God will save us. There is still a hope that God will step in, that God will pay the price, that God will take it on himself and meet the demands of justice, that God will make it right. And that's the hope that we're ste stepping into. And that's the refuge that we find. And it says here, indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city. This is something they experienced. It's not something that they read about. It's part of their recent history. And they conspired against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you had anointed to be the savior of the world. He's the, the coming of this good news. They took this good news and they conspired. It struck them as odd. And they decided to assert themselves against this to try and show that this is wrong. And what they're trying to assert that this is wrong is, is and their power, it says, they did what your power and your will had decided beforehand should happen, which was they killed Jesus. What is it saying? Is it saying that God wanted Jesus dead? No, God didn't want Jesus dead. What they're pointing at is, look, we didn't want Jesus killed on the cross. That wasn't a part of our plan. We would have done anything we could have done to, to keep Jesus from dying on the cross. Uh, Peter, I'm ready to go to battle to prevent this from happening. This was not their plan. This was something that was bad. This was something that was horrible. This was something that left them after it happened just completely depressed and, and without any kind of hope whatsoever and completely disillusioned. It, for them, they had just experienced as bad as it could get but God raised Jesus from the dead. And Jesus walked with them and talked with them. So it's for 40 days. Jesus was raised up to heaven. And now they have this wonderful gift of the Holy Spirit. And they have this wonderful oneness together that we're reading about. And now, what would you say to that? <laughs> I didn't want any of that to happen, but it all happened. It happened because... You allowed people to have their freedom, even though their freedom meant evil, evil, evil. But you made it in such a way that now things are wonderful for us in that sense of being able to partake of this Holy Spirit in a way that we just weren't able to before. What they're recognizing is, is look, when you face trouble in life, this happens to me all the time. Oftentimes, I don't know why it is, but my trouble intertwines with 
something or I'm, it's brought to mind where it's like, I had wanted this to happen and this didn't happen, but it was a good thing that didn't happen. <laughs> and so sometimes when I'm facing things that are really in trouble and I'm really trying to figure out what it is that I want, I, I just sit there and say, God, I don't even know what to ask for. I, I mean, I feel like I know. I mean, I want this to stop. But I mean, sometimes it's like, I just feel this in my spirit of like, I don't even know. I don't even know if I can ask for that. I kind of want this, but that's because in my mind, I know, I think that this will result in goodness, but I also know it's like, I don't really know that. It only will result in whatever if God chooses it to be that way. And if God chooses it to be that way, it doesn't depend on this happening. It could happen a million different ways. It could happen even though everybody else is doing these evil things, even though I'm contributing to evil things. As you start praying and as you start seeking refuge, it's normal for us to have this pause to say, God, I don't know. I mean, I feel like actions have to matter in some sort of way. But as you start thinking through it, pondering, instead of pondering futile things of, I just need to make the right choices. I need to figure this out because if I don't figure it out, then I'm not going to be able to do the right thing. And if I can't do the right thing, then no good is possible in the world. It all depends on me being the despot, the person making these decisions and making things happen. Once you see that the gospel is true and the Holy Spirit, as we see here in Acts 2, it goes through, convicts us of our heart. It makes it clear that no, our hope is that, that these futile things, that our salvation will not be lost in that. That God's salvation will hold, even when other people are messing up, even when I'm messing up, even when other people don't know what it is they're talking about and they're pushing forward, even when I don't know what I'm talking about, even when I think I'm sure that I know what needs to happen, whether it happens that way or not, I have a salvation that's rooted in God has a plan and God is working it out and it's going to be for good. Now, what it says they say, consider their threats. Enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Um, boldness, again, it's a wonderful translation, but sometimes we just, I've heard uh, people who call themselves Christians uh, use this verse many times, but, but what it is that they mean by boldness is I want boldness to be able to speak about what I think is right and boldness to speak about what I think is wrong and boldness to speak about what I think needs to happen. It's not boldness to speak of myself as the despot. <laughs> it's boldness to be able to talk about the things that God is doing. What is it that God is doing? And the word boldness there, it's not even really boldness in terms of what we think of as boldness. It's a boldness that's it's specific. And what it is that they ask for is, here's their situation. All that's happened is this guy's been healed. 
And it fits with that question of, well, why is that such a bad thing? Why do you have such a negative reaction? But it's, they see that it's not just this guy being healed. It's like, why is it that we all have this negative reaction? God's asking that. Why is it that we all have sort of this, this standoffishness to this idea that he is the only author of our salvation and not us? And as we see the futility of thinking about our own actions and what we're doing and find the security of the refuge that's found in what it is that God is doing, what the people in power wanted was to take away their speaking of this. Uh, Steve pointed out that when they were speaking, they noticed that they spoke with boldness, that they spoke as free people. In other words, they spoke as, even though they were uneducated. In other words, they had put them into a box. We're the educated ones, and you're uneducated, and therefore our place and our right and our privilege is to speak in this way. But you are speaking like we speak, and you shouldn't be speaking that way. You should stay in your place. What the Holy Spirit does is eliminates all that. And what they ask is they see what is being said to them. You go back to your place. Don't speak in the way that we speak as free people. You speak the way that you should be speaking as servants, as lower people. And so what they ask for is, it's amazing. They don't ask for, they don't ask that these people's freedom be taken. They don't ask that they be taken out of power is what they ask for is this freedom that we have found. Don't let us lose it. Don't let us go back to the way that we were before, where we were just afraid and where we, we didn't want to speak boldly, uh, speak freely like free people. In other words, they had found freedom in Jesus. That as they came to find refuge in the salvation of God, within that, finding that refuge meant they found freedom. Like what? I remember uh, Karen's dad. When I was younger, I still tend to do it today, but at least I have one story that uh, I constantly think about that pulls me away from this. But, but when I first met her dad, or, you know, I don't know, this may be a year in, I, I can't remember how long it was, but it was early on. I, I had this thing where I, I believed in Jesus, but I just could not stand church people. And I had gone back to church basically because I felt like God ordered me to, but I really thought it was a bad idea. I, I just, it just grated on me. I couldn't stand it. I, I just could not stand it. And I just did it with all sorts of bitterness, but I just took pride in that, well, at least I'm just doing it. God told me I had to, to go back. I don't know why he did it. And I took great pride in the fact that even though these people, I don't want to have anything to do with them, I'm just doing it. And I, there's really no good reason for it, but I'm just doing it. And one of the things that I had encountered right away is I had never been baptized before. I don't know. I just hadn't been. And I was encountering these, these pressure moments where people were arranging meetings, where they would arrange like group meetings 
to have like a Bible study or something like that. But then I would find out the whole reason why is they wanted to apply pressure on me to get baptized. And, and I just blew a gasket in every one of those things and just refused and just told them I'm never, ever going to do that. And people would even tell me things like, well, then you're just not going to be saved. It's like, well, then I guess we'll see what happens. We'll see who's in heaven. <laughs> I was just adamant. But the, it wasn't just baptism. It was that at that time, every, the way that I saw freedom was as a reaction to everything that I saw was bad. Everything that I saw that was trying to contain me, everything that I saw that was trying to tell me how I needed to act, how I needed to be, how I needed to conform to, that freedom was about doing things the opposite of that. <laughs> and so I remember talking to Karen's dad. It's like, I can't handle these church people. and I can't handle this anymore. It's like, they're trying to get me to become baptized. He goes, oh yeah, I can, I can see that. He says, well, what do you want to do? And it's like, I don't want to, I want to prove them wrong. He goes, no, 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 no. I mean, I get that you're reacting against something that you see that's bad. But if that wasn't there, if none of those people were there, if it was just you on an island and you were just reading through the Bible, it's just you and God and, and you read through, what would you want to do? And I said, well, I mean, what I'd want to do, I, I'd probably want to get baptized. I mean, I read Jesus got baptized. I think it'd be kind of cool to do what Jesus did. I just sort of read through these different things that the church was doing. I, I think it would be kind of fun. But all these people have just ruined that. And I remember her dad saying to me, why don't you just do what you want to do instead of being held captive and forcing yourself to only do the opposite of what you see everyone doing, I'm like basically judging everybody that this is all bad. And I'm only getting my only source of freedom is found in doing the opposite. And that really struck me that, you know, a lot of times when we think of freedom and we think about speaking out boldly and things like that, it's almost always boldness or freedom that starts with a judgment of someone else that it's bad, and then an evaluation that to do the opposite, then it is good. Well, that's not freedom. <laughs> that's just another form of slavery. It's fitting in another box of my own making. What they're seeing and what they're finding and the reason why they're finding freedom here and the reason why it's connected to God being the decision maker and what God is doing is here's the gospel. I've messed up. I need forgiveness. I need for my salvation to be dependent on something other than me making good choices because there's just no indication that that's going to happen. And I found that offer of forgiveness in Jesus, this unconditional forgiveness, uh, an offer that, that's based on what Jesus is doing for us, the price that Jesus is paying. I see that what I need is being offered through Jesus. And as I find that, I'm going to follow God on that basis. And what that means is, it doesn't matter what anyone else does. I don't need to judge and see if it's bad. I mean, sometimes you just look at it and it's like, this is bad. That's okay. It's not that you can't hold that back. It's just the evaluative thing. My, my, my salvation doesn't depend on my ability to figure out whether it's bad or not. Sometimes it's very clear. 
I don't want to have anything to do with that. That's fine. But my hope is not in trying to take away someone else's freedom, not in trying to tell someone else what to do. My freedom is not found in me trying to establish my group and my good people that are making good plans and my collective community that is trying to accomplish good. It's not in that because I don't think that's going to happen. But we find this different kind of hope that's found in God's sovereignty, you might say, that's found in God's plans, that he will take care of us, and he loves us, and he is going to save us. And there's great freedom to be found in that. I've talked about this many times when Gideon went out to do battle. He lit some torches, broke some pots. I think he blew some bugles. It wasn't like this is the plan, and he writes it down in a book, and now everybody that does this wins the battle. No. He just had joy in making a plan. It was the joy part of it. It wasn't the plan itself. It was freedom to be able to go out and do some different things, knowing that even if, you know, it turns out the bugles actually didn't matter that much, or it turns out the the fire or the breaking jars, that didn't really matter. Whatever it is, you have this freedom to be able to think through what is it that, that we want. And for us as a church, what does this all mean? It means, look, the Holy Spirit is on every single one of us. If we believe we need forgiveness of our sins, if we believe that, that that's found in Jesus, and if we want to follow Jesus on that basis, then each one of us is given some sort of portion of the Holy Spirit, some sort of way where it's going to take it to a place where everyone sees this just isn't a person anymore. This is something that God is doing. And, and as we start figuring that out and start grabbing a hold of it, start living in, in that power of the Holy Spirit in, in lots of different ways, it will produce a freedom. And we have to ask ourselves then, what is it that we want? You know, a lot of times I talk to people and I do myself, you know, I think, well, I, I can't think about what I want because if I was to just do what I wanted, you know, I would go crazy. Oftentimes when I'm talking to someone who's, you know, say someone who's been addicted to heroin or something like that. And I ask them, well, you know, if you have, I can't be free because if I'm free, then what I want is to take a bunch. Is that really what you want? And then they think about it and they say, no, that, that isn't what I want because that just completely, but there's a part of me that wants, yes, that's what that pause is about. In each one of us, there is something that is pulling us back into slavery. There's something that's pulling us back into something that it, it, it's about this dividing between the good and the bad, something about that's putting our hope back onto our own actions. But there's another part of us that when we really sit down and think of, what is it that we really want? Well, I want to make a bunch of money. Is that what we really want? Why? You know? Well, because I want to have security. Okay. So you want to have security. But what is it that we really want? And I think the passage hits to the heart, it's not necessarily security. 
here's what it is that we really want. And this goes back, interestingly enough, to what Alex was talking about back in the garden. When Adam, it doesn't say he had really done anything good or bad. He was in time of innocence. He's in the garden. He's with God. He has a perfect relationship with God at that point. There's nothing wrong. The world is perfect. The world is good. There's only one thing that God sees that isn't good, and he sees that from looking at Adam. He says it's not good for him to be alone. Well, he's not alone. He's with God. But he was. What we really want, what we really need, is to not be alone and not be isolated. And we need people around us. And God has created that for us. And God is moving us. And that is God's plan for us to have good, wonderful relationships with each other. And obviously, we've been messing that all up. And obviously, we're completely, every single person is guilty of that. And whether we're a follower of Jesus or not, we're continuing to mess that up all the time. But it says here, all the believers were one in heart and mind, or one in heart and soul. There was this sense of togetherness. There was a sense of refuge, of hope that's found and seen. What is God doing? What is God planning? What is God saying? I'm not, I don't want to even talk about anymore what I'm doing, what my dream is, what my hope is, what this person's hope is, what that person's hope is. That's all futility. What is it that God's doing right now? What is it that God's doing for me personally? What is it that God's doing for us as a church? Taking refuge in that and finding freedom with that. And the freedom is found in asking ourselves, well, I mean, if we're free persons now, I know there's all sorts of things that are constraining us, causing us to, to be the, here. The, yes. But the power of God gives us freedom. And so if we have that freedom, what is it that we want? And the Bible's telling us, look, you may not realize this, but what it is that you want is to be together with some people, to have some good relationships, not just with me, but good relationships with some other people, to become like one with some other people. And the one that's there, it says in heart, and the word is a psyche or a psych. It's a soul, you know, in that this is Greek thought, uh, Plato thought that the, the psyche or the soul is the, the place, the, the part of us that's eternal. But, but what it's really just saying there, and you can see it says, no one claimed that any possession was their own, but they shared everything that they had. It's, it's not a command that's being given. It's an effect that's being stated. In other words, there's not a rule that they're being, there wasn't a decision that they made that we want to be like this. It was an effect. It was just saying, this is what happened. And what it was is that in this threat, when they encountered trouble, as Peter and John encountered trouble in their life, and they felt the weight of that and the stress of that, everyone else felt the same thing. They felt that. And when the threat 
what was the trouble that was plaguing them, this threateningness, everyone else felt that as a threat to themselves too. And that's why we want to be together and why it's so important when we're facing things that are, are difficult and we're facing things from powers that are really trying to oppress us and put us into our place. And the threat is real for them behind that. And it's incredibly important for us. There's, there's comfort that's found in God's plan. Well, what is it that God's doing? We understand what these people want to do. This is going to be horrible. But what is it that God's going to do? What is it that God's planning? How is it that God will save us? And in that, there's freedom. And in that freedom as we pursue it there's something wonderful that happens and what's wonderful that happens is we come together in a way that's what the Holy Spirit does and that's part of the reason why the Holy Spirit gives different gifts to different people and it talks about us as being one body because it helps pull us all together why because in times of need we're going to need this in times of need we're going to need this gift we're going to need to be together. And that's what Jesus's idea of a local church has always been. And that's who we are. And then it says with great power, the, the word is mega power. And then it says uh, God's grace was so powerful. It, it just basically says that they came together and what it was that they asked for there was mega power, mega grace. And what was the power? They defined it themselves as signs and wonders through the name of our holy servant Jesus. Look, they're just saying, look, we want to be able to just talk about freely the things that Jesus is doing, the things that Jesus is saying, but we're afraid that we're going to step out on that limb and... We're afraid of what's going to happen. We don't want to be afraid. We want to. And so God gives them that encouragement that they ask for. But then he does something even more wonderful. He gives great power and great grace. In other words, he makes it so that he backs up his message. They don't have to back it up. They say, here's what I see Jesus doing, what he's done. And people say, well, I don't, how can that be? God adds great power to it so that people can see it. He backs up his actions and his word. He's the one. It all falls on him. What he's saying is there's freedom to just share what it is that we see God doing. Share what it is that we see God saying to us about our salvation and what he's offering us. And the freedom is free from that burden of having to prove it ourselves. God's going to step in. And there's no way the last part, great grace or mega grace, uh, there's no way. The only hope that we have to be together with some people, if it is true, 
that we're just completely messing up all the time and we need forgiveness for our sins and we can find that forgiveness in Jesus. Part of seeing that forgiveness in Jesus is that, of course, our relationships, we're never going to be together by doing the right thing. That's why we need Jesus. But we're together because God just increases the grace that's on us. And one of the wonderful things is when we're facing deep trouble, there's so much stress when we're, you know, in a marriage, when you're struggling finances, that's a huge stress. That's time when things break apart. All sorts of stresses in the world are on us all the time. And we can't divorce ourselves from it. We feel that stress. But the relief isn't going to come from, what do I need to do? What do I need to do? What do I need to do? What's my plan? What's my plan? What's my plan? That's just going to be futility, and it's not going to release the stress. But as we look to, well, what is it God's doing? God, how can you, uh, what, what are you doing? God, just searching out, God, that's where we'll find refuge. And as we ask, what, what is God doing? And as he brings us together with people, he's going to give us the grace that we need to be one. He's going to give us the grace that we need to get along. And he'll make that happen. And that's where we'll see where the where God's building the church from with the Holy Spirit. Uh, let's pray, and then we'll sing these last few songs. Uh, Jesus, we just uh, thank you for all that you're doing. And Lord, we ask, Lord, that, that we would be able to just catch our catch our eye catch our ear help us to see and enable us through the holy spirit to be able to see the things that you are doing things you're doing through us as a church through people in the church things that go beyond uh, things that people are humanly able to do help us to take refuge in this time to ask what are you doing what is your plan Help us to find that freedom and to hold to it and to desire it more than anything. And Lord, help us to come together. And I pray you would give great grace on all of us to pull together as one people. Help us to feel what others are feeling. Help us to feel the threat that others are feeling. And help us to be one. We ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen.